Amen. Well, I'll add myself to the category of being a nobody, trying to tell everybody about somebody. Thank the Lord for Jesus. Take your Bibles, if you will. We're continuing to look at the goodness of God. We're in Genesis chapter 4 and this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 16, very familiar story. Um, but as we look at this this morning, I want us to look at how God has shown his goodness already. For those of you who have not been with us, we've looked already in the book of Genesis how uh, God showed his goodness in his creation, and everything he made was good. Why? Because he is a good God. We saw how he showed his goodness by making a garden, a very special place in his creation, uh, to satisfy the needs and wants and to provide a place of fellowship uh, with a special creation that he had made in his image, namely Adam and Eve. Uh, we've seen God's goodness challenged by the serpent who questioned uh, the goodness of God by challenging his word and what he said. We've seen how the goodness of God's been challenged by sin and, uh, and how even in sin, God showed his goodness in providing uh, even in judgment, uh, a way for Adam and Eve. And then today we're going to see how God's goodness is demonstrated by his very persistent love. Many, many years ago, there was a London newspaper that had uh, this title, Oxford Scholar Dies on Bowery Skid Row. Now, I'm not from England. I've never been to England, but I read that uh, this uh, uh, Bowery area is, a, is an area where people kind of hang out that are homeless and have uh, fallen out of, uh, of society in some way. And, and this man that was called Professor, he was a year younger than I am right now, he was 62 years old, but he became one of the most illustrious uh, citizens on Bowery Road because he had been a very prominent individual. He was a professor and, a, and an authority on English romantic poetry he had earned his Ph.D. from Oxford University. He had a splendid salary teaching at a college. Um, and, uh, and so he was, he was doing extremely well, well-recognized, well-respected, until he started showing romantic interest in both his students and the wives of his fellow faculty. Well, at that point, uh, he lost his position. And unemployed, he landed on Bowery uh, Skid Row, and in a, in a, in it's a district that was known as One Mile from Hell. That's the name of that particular spot, One Mile from Hell. Well, the news account of his death reported that an assortment of shabbily clothed panhandlers and winos gathered at Mike's Bar toasting a departed comrade. You know, I... Throughout my ministry, I've seen people with great promise and even sometimes great position in their life fall and end up in such a state. And I've seen the sadness of what has happened in people's lives when, when you look at a life that could have been something altogether different, and yet it wasn't what it could have been, it wasn't what it should have been, and, uh, and that causes us to question, why would anybody do what they've done. What could have been done to prevent this? Well, as we look at the story of Cain and Abel, what we're going to see this morning is that God had put these people on earth, and they had become parents, and so they were raising two children, very different. Same parents, same parenting, yet two different, total different children. I often tell parents when they come to me and say, I don't know where I went wrong with my child, and they've got other children, and other children have done well, but Maybe this particular child is struggling, and you say, well, same parent, same parenting, but, but what happened? Well, it's because we all have choice. We all have freedom. 
We have the ability to make decisions that affect our lives and affect the lives of other people. And and very first story in the Bible about two uh, siblings, two brothers, uh, lets us know how sin came, sin was passed down, committed by the children of Adam and Eve, and we see the consequences. But yet here we find God's love demonstrated. Let's look at this together. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. So Adam lay with his wife Eve, and, they, and she became pregnant, gave birth to Cain, and she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil, and in the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse, driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod east of Eden. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as we examine this passage more closely. May it be your Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and guidance and insight and discernment. Lord, so that not only do we hear and know the story, but Lord, we know the truth of the story and how it applies to us. Lord, certainly when we do not put you first in our life, when we do not honor you as we should, Lord, when we do not uh, walk with you in, in your word and in your truth and Truly, Lord, sin crouches at the door. And truly, Lord, we become capable of doing things otherwise we would never have thought we could do. But Lord, I'm so grateful that you demonstrated your goodness, even, in, even to one like Cain. So that, Lord, if there's someone here this morning who has been out of the presence of the Lord, who's, who has made choices in life, has done things that, Lord, uh, they do not even begin to think that you would ever be forgiving and gracious enough that, Lord, today they would understand your grace is sufficient. And, Lord, that your love extends beyond their ability to comprehend. And that you demonstrated that love by becoming one of us. Sending your son, Jesus, who suffered and died on a cross for our sins. 
who was buried, who rose from the grave, who ascended to heaven and one day will come again, but will come into the hearts and lives of those who will say yes to such a loving Savior. Lord, I thank you that your goodness is demonstrated even today by your persistent love. Do your great work in this place today. We'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, God is again demonstrating His love, but in a different way because something unique has happened. You see, we have Adam and Eve sinning, but now we have the first worship service. We have Cain, we have Abel who have come before the Lord and they have come with their offerings and they have come and placed themselves before the Lord. And as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, we need to understand that Cain was not right with God. And that brings us to the first point of this, of this uh, passage, and that is that in spite of sin, in spite of the fact that Cain had omitted God from his life in terms of where he should be in his life, God still spoke to him. I find this to be a marvelous thing in this passage of Scripture. Cain and Abel, both coming before the Lord, both bringing offerings, but something significantly different is about their offering. You see, the Bible says, and there's a comparison that's made here, that Cain brought some, and the, and the key word here is some. Underline that, understand that he brought some of what he had raised, some of his crops, some of what he had. He didn't bring the best, he didn't bring the first fruits, he didn't bring anything that would, quote, honor the Lord. He just brought some of what he had. And folks, today that's the way a lot of people approach God. They give God some of their time. They give God some of their talents. They give God some of their treasure when it comes to gifts and offerings and tithes and so forth. They give some, but they don't give what God deserves. And they don't give what belongs to God. And so as they came, Cain is coming before the Lord, understand he's there. He's present. We might say it this way today. He was at church. But his heart wasn't right. He wasn't right with God. His offering, therefore, was not right with God. And the Bible says that God did not have respect to Cain or his offering. Remember, God is telling Moses this so that Moses can record this, what we now have the book of Genesis. And it was important to the Lord to tell Moses, here is what happened. It wasn't just the offering wasn't right. It was that Cain wasn't right, therefore the offering was not right. We read in the New Testament that one of the most important things that the Christians needed to do was that they first had to give of themselves to the Lord and then give whatever else God asked of them, of their time, of their talent, their treasure, whatever it was. And folks, that to me is one of the key problems today in the churches, is that people come and worship, people come to church but is their heart right with God? Because you see, let's just take up worship for a moment. Because this is about worship. This is about the first worship service. And so when Cain came, his heart was not right. So he was already not right in his worship before he ever gave his offering. See, it's more important when you and I walk out of a church like we will today, and somebody asks the question, well, how was worship today? It's more important to say, what did God think of my worship today? What did God see in my heart? What did God see about me that I worshiped the Lord? It has nothing to do with worship service. It has to do with our lives and where we are with our God. 
And if our lives are right, and if our hearts are right, and if our minds are right, and if our spirit is right with regards to God, if we're being obedient to Him, we're being obedient to His Word, and we're walking according to the Spirit, our worship will be right, then that means we will be right. And God will have respect to us and our worship. He'll have respect to us and our offering. I know, I've said this before, and I know Brother Ronnie may cringe when I say this, but you know, the Bible's very plain. If you're not right with your brother, what do you do with your gift? What do you do with your offering? Jesus said, lay it down, go get it right, and then give your worship, your offering to the Lord. You and I think that somehow we can just buy off God. We can somehow give God something and say, well, that's will make everything else all right because, because we did give this and we did do this and we do whatever. And folks, God intends for us first to be right. That's, that's how God demonstrates his goodness to us. That's how God demonstrates his love to us because he's more concerned about us than he is about anything that has to do with the external. More about us. He wants to pursue a passionate relationship and fellowship with you and me on a daily basis. Cain did not have this. And yet, in in spite of the fact that Cain was guilty of sin in his heart and had omitted God from his life in the way in which he should, God speaks. Now, Abel, of course, and I won't spend much time on Abel, but Abel comes and he does bring his offering. And notice the key words here. Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. In other words, he brought God the very best that he had. Why? Because in Abel's heart, God was worthy of his best. God was worthy of, the, of, of what God was worthy of and should get from him and what we should give as well. Everything you and I give, you know, the thing that the Lord required of the Israelites, their firstborn belonged to him. They had to redeem their firstborn male with silver. Because the firstborn belonged to the God. The firstborn of the flocks belonged to the Lord. The best of everything there was when they brought their offerings, it wasn't to have any spot or any blemish. They weren't to bring God some of their flock. They weren't to bring God some of their produce. They were to bring God the very best. When it came to the olive oil, they weren't to give him some of the olive oil. They were to give him the very first press of olive oil. They were to give him the extra virgin olive oil for the temple and for the use. Nothing less would be acceptable because God deserves our best. He deserves the best of our life. He deserves the best of our time, our talent, our treasure, everything. And Abel did that. And so what does that say to us? Well, it says that Abel was right with God. And the Bible says God had respect to Abel and his offering. But isn't it great that God was pursuing Cain, even though he came to worship for the wrong reasons, had the wrong attitude, even brought uh, the worst kind of offering But you know the greatest problem that Cain had? Well, we learn about it in Hebrews. You see, when Abel brought his offering, he brought it in faith. And he brought it by faith. When Cain brought his offering, he did not believe that God was a good God. He did not believe that God was worthy and and deserving. And you say, how do you know that? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 for just a moment. It says, by faith... Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. The writer Hebrews clearly understood that the reason Cain 
was not accepted and why Abel was, was Abel brought his worship and Abel brought his offering and Abel brought himself to God by faith. Now, what is faith? Well, we've got a lot of people think faith is just believing in something, whether it's true or not. We've got a lot of people thinking it's just whatever you think God should do and you expect God to do it. No, faith is hearing a word from God and being obedient to that word. That's faith. If you, look at the, if you look at the hall of faith in Hebrews in chapter 11, every time you see the mention of faith, it's God said they did. God said they did. God said they did. God said they did. In other words, it's all about what God has said and what you and I do in response to God's word. That's faith. So God says that a person to be saved must come to faith in Jesus Christ, must both believe and receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Then our response to Jesus is faith. Our worship should be based on faith. And you see, the Lord will have respect to our worship if we come to Him in faith. The Bible says, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Yet God spoke to Cain in spite of the fact that he was not right with God. But notice what God said. He asked Cain a question. He said, why are you angry? Why is your face cast down? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? You see, what Cain needed was righteousness. (laughs) You can't do right until you are righteous. And you can't be righteous apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know how that's true? Because when you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you his righteousness. It's, he takes off your filthy rags and our righteousness as, are, are as filthy rags before God. He takes off our filthy rags and he clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. Now folks, understand our God pursues us with a persistent love that pursues us so that we will in fact be right so that we can be accepted. And there, you know, here the, in the Hebrew, the word here literally means why has your face fallen? Have you ever seen anybody when you tell them something bad and they're all happy, all of a sudden their face falls? I mean, suddenly their sadness just suddenly just comes all over their face. Cain is all upset and God said, why is your face falling? If you just do what you're supposed to do, it'll all be good because I love you. God's not, you know, the Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What does that mean? Well, that means that God is pursuing everybody with his love. And how do you know he loves you? Because of Jesus. And he pursues you passionately, even in our sin. I love the passage that says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God, while we were yet away from God and and apart from God and not believing in the goodness of God and the grace of God and, and all the things about God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. And God shows that persistent love. He showed it with Cain, and he shows it with us. And and God didn't want Cain to have to depart from him. But then Cain went and did exactly what God said was going to happen. He said, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to master you. You must master it. Folks, that's a word from God today for Christians. Sin always is there to try to master us. We must master it. 
We must make sure that we're walking in the Lord, in the Spirit of the Lord, so we don't give in to the, the desires of the flesh. The Bible ta- tells us in Galatians chapter 5, there's a warfare going on between the flesh and the Spirit, and the two will never agree, and we must walk in the Spirit. We must. We must choose. It's a, a, you know, God didn't say, now you can't do this apart from me. God said, you must master it. You must get in control of your life. And if you look throughout the New Testament, that's what God says over and over. He tells us we must do what we need to do. We can't blame Satan. We can't blame other people. There was a time in my life where I wanted to blame my parents and blame the church and blame everybody for why I wasn't walking with the Lord until the Lord made me aware. <laughs> I didn't want them to do those things, but that's got nothing to do with you. You make the right choice. You get it right. And that's what we must do today. As God pursues us out of his goodness. I think about some of the people who turned their back on all the things that would have made their life so much better. I think about, um, there was, uh, well, anybody, any of us that were old enough to know what a girl ought to look like in, in the 1960s knows who Bridget Bardot was, right? She was a well-known siren symbol of, of that day. And, and, you know, it's an interesting thing about her. She was married three times, had numerous boyfriends, and then gave an interview to a paper when she was 38 years old, and here's what she said. She said, I hate humanity. I'm allergic to it. I see no one. I don't go out. I am disgusted with everything. It's a life apart from God. Or we can look and see it, uh, uh, the great uh, Vanderbilt who built the, the railroads, the railroad king, was quoted as saying, I have not had an hour's happiness in my life. I cannot eat or drink more than anybody other... Uh, anyone else I cannot wear more clothes I require only one bed to sleep in all the rest is the cause of perpetual trouble my millions cause me ceaseless anxiety day and night it's a life apart from God J. Paul Getty also another very wealthy man died in 1976 was considered by his friends as one of the loneliest men in the world National Magazine entitled its article about him, The New Fears of J. Paul Getty. His 74-room mansion at Sutton Place near London included 1,000 acres of parkland, but it was patrolled by security men and dogs. The windows were barred with sword-like contraptions, and the doors were kept locked. His fears made him a prisoner. Getty was married five times, and he once said, I built an empire, but I didn't build a family. Folks, there's no difference than J. Paul Getty and the professor at Bowery Skid Row. Apart from God. But our God pursues us out of His goodness with a persistent love. I pray today that you look at your life and say, Is God speaking to me? Because if you're not saved, I'm telling you, He's speaking to you. But also, notice that God offered Him a better way. If he would only choose God, he would, he would have all that he needed. He would have a relationship with God. He, he would be accepted. His offerings would be accepted. All would be well, but he chose a different way. That's why the Bible speaks of something called the way of Cain. But I want you to also notice that God protected him from immediate justice. When Cain refused to repent, when he killed his brother, in the goodness of God, God did not permit anyone to kill him. You know, I struggle with this part of the passage of, of this story. God's telling the story to Moses, so I know it's God, and I know it's how he is. I would have thought that God would have said, you killed your brother, you forfeit your life. 
Think of all the countless generations that came after Cain that brought evil and trouble on the earth. But God did not kill Cain. He did not let anybody else kill Cain. Why? Because God is good and his goodness is persistent in its love. Same thing that happened with a woman caught in adultery. Brought that woman to Jesus and the people said she deserves by law to be stoned. And yet the law required her to be stoned. What they should have done was taken her and the man that she was caught with and taken him out and stoned him. But they, didn't, they weren't looking to obey God. They were looking for what? They were looking to trap Jesus and they brought her to him. And I love what Jesus said. Anyone here with, without sin, start throwing. And they all dropped their stones and left. And then the woman looks at Jesus. Jesus looking at her. Said, Where, where's everybody? Where's all your accusers? And they're gone. And then I love what Jesus said. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Don't think that Jesus was tolerating her sin. Don't think that he was looking over what she had done. Just know that his love said, go and sin no more. And that's the persistent love that was even shown on the cross to a thief who had no reason whatsoever to spend even a moment in paradise. And yet, because of his faith and his belief in Jesus, when he turned to the Savior on the cross, Jesus said to this man who deserved absolutely nothing, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's God showing his goodness through his persistent love. So can I tell you this morning, God is pursuing you with that kind of love. You may be here today and you're a Christian, but you've not been giving your life to the Lord the way you should. Truth be known, you're not much different than Cain in terms of your heart and your, your service to the Lord, your time, your treasure has not been given to the Lord. You're not giving Him your best of everything that you have and everything that you are. I'm just going to encourage you today. God is worth it. And God is good, and because God is good, He is worth it. He is worth everything that you will lay down before Him and give to Him and offer to Him, but most of all, of yourself. And if you're here today and you've never offered yourself to Jesus Christ, I plead with you today, say yes to the Savior. And if you're here today and and you've never accepted or trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's never been a time and a place in your life where you said yes to the one who died on the cross for your sins, then today I plead with you, don't go the way of Cain. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Because out of his goodness and out of his love, he did what he did so you and I could be saved. And I ask that today you make sure you don't walk out of the doors of this church without knowing Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you've not yet been obedient in the waters of believers' baptism, you've not yet been obedient to the Lord in terms of something else He's called you to do or wants you to do in your life in terms of ministry and service, and if there's something He needs you and wants you to do in terms of surrendering that which is in your life that needs to be surrendered to Him so that you're living under His Lordship, today I plead with you, today make that commitment because God is asking the same question today why are you angry why don't you believe why don't you trust in my goodness 
why don't you accept and receive my love? Why is your face falling? If you do what is right, all will be well. Today, our Lord is offering again yet another opportunity, another invitation. You're here today. You're living. You're breathing. The Lord hadn't yet come back, and you haven't departed to go to be with him. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get everything right with God. Today is the day to get right with anybody that you need to get right with. Today is the day to trust in the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As we, Lord, have examined this passage of Scripture, we realize that your love was persistent with Cain out of your great goodness. That it's the same goodness and grace that pursues us today with your amazing love. Lord, today, if there's someone here who doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, would your Holy Spirit do his great work today? Lord, all we can do is share Jesus. You must give them sight to see. Ask, Lord, that today you would open the hearts and eyes of those who may be here who have yet to trust you as Lord and Savior, that today they might say yes to the one who suffered and died on the cross, whose arms were extended to show how much you loved us. Oh, Lord, I pray that today there'll be those who will say yes to Jesus. And as an act of faith, believing what your word says to be true, would pray a prayer of faith, a confession of faith that goes something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But I believe your word is true. I believe what the Bible says about your son is true, that Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who willingly suffered and died for my sins, who was buried, who rose from the grave, who ascended to heaven, but... Lord, as I understand it, today you are at the heart's door knocking. And today I invite you to come in and be my Lord, my Savior, to be the boss of my life, to help me to turn from my sins and help me to live for you. Lord, I pray for those who maybe recently have prayed that prayer, but they've not yet made others aware that they've done that. They need to make a public profession of faith. Some need to come for baptism. Some may need to come for church membership. But Lord, whatever it is that needs to be done today, may we be obedient to you. That, Lord, our life will be characterized by faith. So, Lord, do your great work in this place. Whatever needs to happen to our hearts, whatever needs to happen to our lives, then, Lord, may we make those changes and commitments today for your kingdom, for your glory, and in response to your great love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing the hymn of invitation. If God has spoken to you, there's a commitment or decision you need to make. We invite you to come as we sing, Brother David. Stand, please. <clears throat>